Pen and Paper People is made possible thanks to the generous donations of our patrons. Thanks go out to Allison M, Puking Goombas, David S, Cruz, Mark B. Writing, Storm H, and Steve Z. Your support helps make all this wild bullshit possible, so thank you. Pit and Paper People is also a proud member of the prolific podcast network, Old Magic Gaming. OMG is a network of actual play and tabletop-focused podcasts created and managed by a diverse cast of contributors. Check them out at oldmagicgaming.com and on Twitter at oldmagicgaming. Welcome to Pen and Paper People, a podcast about the games we play, the people who make them, and the things we can learn by thinking about design in different ways. My name's Nevin, I use he, him pronouns, and today I am joined by Spencer Campbell of Slayers. Spencer, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us your pronouns, and uh, tell us a little bit about the game we're going to be talking about today. Hi, my name is Spencer Campbell. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I've been getting into game design these last few years. This year in particular, I've been doing a lot of RPG design. Uh, and let's see, other things that you need to know about me. I'm a psychologist by day. That's my like day job. And then at night, I do all my game design in the dark. And then all part of that game design is manifested into this game Slayers that we're going to be talking about today, which as of recording right now, is on Kickstarter. When you hear this, has no longer on Kickstarter, but you can still find it. We'll, we'll talk about that. But it's a game of monster hunting. It's a monster hunting in a kind of urban environment. The, the kind of the gimmick or the thing that's different about this game is that it leans into this idea of asymmetrical play. So all the characters need to like not only feel different, but play quite differently in the game. I wouldn't know anything about asymmetrical game design at all no um, so i <clears throat> i love that you just constantly drop just casually like oh i'm a psychologist whatever um how do you think or in what ways for you does being a psychologist tie into your game design uh that's actually that's that's fun for me to talk about so i'm i'm a cognitive psychologist which is probably not what most people think of when they think of a psychologist. Most people think of the person who's sitting there, you know, like a clinician or a counselor. Uh, I don't know anything about that. I know nothing about that area of psychology. Um, as a cognitive psychologist, I study things like language processing, memory processing, decision-making, creativity, and problem-solving, which when you add up creativity, problem-solving, decision-making, you have games, right? Yeah, like that's definitely. what games are made of, those components. Uh, and like language is a huge part of it. That's why I'm so excited about uh, shout out to Adam Vass uh, and Necronautilus. Oh like that's why that game God. rocked Fucking, so much to me. I'm it's so a game excited about language. So excited for Necronautilus. So like that, that's that stuff informs my design because I try and use my understanding about what our brains actually do when we're making decisions or when we're thinking creative, uh, creatively or problem solving and put that into the game so that I'm I'm kind of hitting those parts of the brain that really light up in those moments uh, in a way that I think maybe pushes people in ways that they're not used to or thinking about things or having to be creative or problem solving in ways that they don't normally do. And so that's kind of how it informs my my game design. What are some specific ways that you are like when you think about your games and you think about this aspect of it, what are some like proud or noteworthy things that you have in your design that came as a re 
that are a result of that sort of combination, that union of ideas. So I think Slayers is is that thing ultimately because Slayers is a game that has. Uh, it's interesting. I on the Brain Trust Discord last night there was a discussion about how there's not a lot of moving parts to Slayers, and that's true. It's not like a rules complex game, but there's a lot of small like little gears that are moving, which on their own could be quite overwhelming. Like this, I, this concept of like each class has its own set of rules. You would almost think that this would be an impossible task for a new person to be able to learn as opposed to any other role-playing game where everybody kind of follows the same rules. But what I know in terms of things like executive function and cognitive control uh, and how we're able to hold certain information in our minds, kind of like how RAM temporary holds information in uh, like a computer's brain. Um, I use that sort of stuff to make sure that my games, especially Slayers, don't have too many things going on so that your brain is just going to break trying to process all that information. But it's pushing it in a way that you're not going to like go on autopilot mode either. Like I don't want autopilot role playing where you're just doing the same thing. I swing my sword. I swing my sword. I swing my sword. Awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely see that when when looking at and when playing Slayers, it's definitely. It hits a sweet spot is, I think, how I would put it. Um, what got you into game design? Like, so if you ask my parents, uh, I've been making games or rules for games since I was a kid. Like I, I've just been doing like changing every game that ever that we ever played to a new rule or something like that. Uh, I, I've, I've, before I get into role-playing games, I was really into the board game world and I still am really into the board game world. Um, and so I actually, before I did role-playing design, I did board game design for a few years uh, with a friend and a couple of friends. And that was fun. It, we never made anything out of it. It was more just kind of years of making really cool, shiny prototypes that didn't like turn into a thing. But um, that was where I got this, like, this taste for design and realizing that it's this extremely satisfying creative process. And then the other thing that I kind of going back to your question about the psychology part of me is I'm, I'm a scientist. So as a cognitive psychologist, I'm, I'm a scientist. I, I do research and I, so I study things. And so I have a very scientific approach with how I test things. And so you, I, I follow that approach when I do my design, not only creating the games, but testing the games. And so for me, I got to combine my passion of play and my passion of science into one thing. And I was like, yeah, this is it. I, I found the thing that I really like to do now. That's awesome. Um, how do you think, if at all, the psychology aspects with TTRPGs and with board games either mesh or differ? So, yeah, this is I've actually taught two classes kind of on both ends of that spectrum. I've taught a psychology of board games class and a psychology of role playing cool. games class. That's awesome. They were my favorite classes to teach. I, I can't wait to to teach them again. Um, and when you're doing a board game class, it is very much focusing on things like decision making and problem solving. Uh, and there's even like elements of game theory that are going on here. Um, but that's largely because a lot of board games are competitive. There are certainly a lot of cooperative board games out there, but there's this kind of aspect of winning a board game, which is going to change the way that you approach 
solving problems, making decisions and things like that. As opposed to a role-playing game, we don't really think about trying to win a role-playing game, right? Like as long as you're having fun and everybody's winning and you're winning together. Um, so there's that com competitive cooperative aspect that's different, but then there's also huge elements of things like social norms uh, and how we deal with social norms at the table, both uh, in like the real world, but also the social norms of the setting that you're in and uh, aspects of like culture and identity, uh, personality, all those things are highlighted in role playing games that you don't see as much or is not they're not as important in a board game space. I, I want to do like a, a brain trust TED talk on the psychology of role playing games because it's very fun for me to talk about. I think you should. That'd be awesome. Just just schedule a call. Be like, hey, this day, this time I'm doing it. Just get ready for some slides. Here I come, coming at you. Hot Here with a we go. Check out my PowerPoint and my highly, highly animated transitions. It'll be fantastic. I was really nervous teaching that class because I learned once the class started that 75% of my students had never played a role-playing game before. No way. And I was like, I need to be upfront with you all. I'm going to legitimately ask you to pretend to be a wizard for four hours. So like you need to be comfortable with that before we even get started. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, What was you get the because it's college, right? You teach in college. Yeah. So what was it like for these college students? What was the reception like when they walked in and said, OK, cool. Psychology of RPGs. You want me to what? Yeah. Like, how did that go? Did did people like latch on and like really dive in? Were there people who were just like, oh, I don't know about this. This nerd shit. It so this was a this is a workshop class, which means it's a it happens in one weekend. So it's like all of Friday evening and then all day Saturday. It's just this like marathon class for for credit. And so this Friday night, I pitched this idea to all these students. And exactly like you said, there's a lot of skeptical faces looking back at me like, oh, my God, what have I what have I done? What have I signed? What have I, I just done for? to my weekend? <laughs> and the game that we played in shifts throughout the weekend was Fiasco. Um, OK, which is I, I chose Fiasco because it's GM less uh, so that. I didn't have to train a bunch of people to be GMs and I didn't have to like GM an entire class of 15 students and one big session. So instead we did a bunch of, we did four breakout groups of fiasco. And the thing about fiasco too, is depending on which playset you choose, it's an, it's not necessarily like a wild setting. So, you know, it's like a Coen brothers movie. And yeah. if, if you get, you know, if you understand that idea, then you're going to, understand playing fiasco and i mean i swear they bought in immediately immediately once they like once they created their characters and they went through like the whole like setup of fiasco i was i had this sh like huge grin on my face the entire night because i just see this group of students who have no idea what role playing is suddenly getting really into it and it's cool because I'm walking around and I'm seeing everybody's kind of doing their own approach. You know, people have their own style. Like 
they speak in person or they speak in third person with their character. So I'm seeing like different approaches from different people. And then they're shifting over the weekend as they become more comfortable with their character. They're going from like, you know, Theodore describes going into the the room as opposed to then saying like, I walk into the room and like they suddenly have embodied their characters. It's a really cool shift to see. And you see that a lot just in general at regular tables too. Like when you first start a game, I mean, this, this happened in our AP segment where I was saying, Oh, Grat does this, Grat does mm-hmm. that. And eventually shifted over to it. That's just people getting comfortable and it's always fucking awesome. It's, it was so cool. And so, you know, they, they did this in three shifts throughout the weekend. And then between that, I actually did my job and taught them the psychology of role playing. <laughs> you didn't just uh, say, OK, sit down, play. There you go. That's the class. Here's your credit. Right. We're not going to play fiasco for 12 hours. Uh, God, that'd be so much fiasco. It would be a lot of fiasco. And then their their project for the class was to then go play fiasco with other people and then tell me. about. OK. It. And I mean, the number of students who came up to me afterwards or, or reached out to me afterwards that said, I had no idea what I was getting into. And I, I get it now. Like I'm into this. Like I could see myself playing this game. Like I might not play like D and D, but I could do this game. And like, and then I was like, so I would then explain to them other games that they, they could do if they're in to this idea of role playing. Um, but it was just very, very cool to see a group of students who had no experience with this get really, really psyched up on on role playing. I think that it's really awesome that you picked something like Fiasco as what was I mean, how many students was it like 10, 15, 16. So there are four groups. 16. Of I think it's really awesome that you took 16 students and like, let's say that half of them had never played a played a role playing game before. So eight people never played an RPG, no like understanding of the the expected behavior Mm -hmm. of an RPG sit down and go, oh, I'm doing what? And it's fiasco, a game that doesn't doesn't really use dice, right? Like it's, it's you make your character, you've got some rules and you just kind of go. Correct something completely different than what most people when they hear oh it's a role-playing game uh they go oh D, like on stranger the things right mm-hmm. um i think it's really really awesome and i wish that more people's first rpg experience could be something diceless something gmless something wild and out there because then you sit down and you go oh they it is more than just i cast fireball and roll a roll a weird dice right do you know if any of them are still into it like if any of them are still like going around and playing games or i've had a few students who still reach out to me both from my board game class and the role-playing class who tell me that they've been playing especially the role-playing thing because of what we're like because of the the pandemic situation that we're in right now like they're stuck inside with family and stuff and most of them use their family as the group they did for their project and so a lot of them are like, yeah, I still play this game uh, with my family every once in a while. Um, and, you know, I, I show them where to I show them where to get more play sets and stuff like that. And so they're they're trying different versions of Fiasco. Um, it's, it's very cool. I, one of my one of my students has a has a daughter and he likes it because it's a really good way for him to play with her in a in a very different way than he had ever played with his kid before. So. I mean, for me, that's a win. For me, that's a 
as long as they didn't walk away from the class going role playing is the is just the worst thing that's ever happened to me then i've i've succeeded yeah that's definitely a win um do you know if anybody else in the class like got into game design as a result Ooh, i don't know about that now that i think about it i don't know if anybody got into design i i because i didn't really touch too much on design in any of the class but okay i am that that would be curious i what i want to do i want to I'm relatively new to this university, so there's I have a million things that I want to do, like starting a board game club and starting a role playing club and everything like that. Yep. And all those plans have immediately been put on hold right now. So I'm, you know, once things go back to normal, I'm very excited to try and maybe get like like a design idea, like a a, a game design club would be very fun. That'd be very cool. Um, so what when you when you're in this class? So you said you did it in shifts. So like fiasco for a couple hours and then some class stuff and then mm. some more fiasco and some more class stuff. What um, what was the I'm trying to think of how to word this because it's it's a weird question. What psychology aspects did you touch on between the sense of fiasco? Was it like, here's some fiasco. OK, let's talk about the psychology of starting to play. Here's some more. Let's talk about the psychology of you've been playing for a while. Or was it a bit different than that? Like, what did you how did you approach it? It was a bit different than that. So um, I guess the first set of material after they started playing was directly related to the, the stuff that they had just done. I, I basically split my material between two major areas of psychology, social psychology and cognitive psychology. So the social psychology stuff that I talked about was in the space of norms. So the unspoken rules of social interaction, uh, you know, the, what are we allowed to do? So uh, I talked a lot about norms, morality, uh, because in, in any role playing game, morality is going to become a thing that you're going to need to talk about. Uh, even even if you don't explicitly talk about it, and, and since fiasco tends to go so off the rails so quickly, uh, you definitely yeah. want to make sure that you have a sense of like, where's everybody? What's everybody's moral compass alignment of sorts? So we talk about morality, uh, personality, identity, and social norms in the kind of first chunk of the lecture, so that hey, you just made a character and your characters are starting to interact with each other. You're starting to probably learn some things about your characters. You know, these are the aspects of personality and identity. And so a lot of that. And then in the second half for the later chunks of material, we're focused on cognitive stuff, which would like for Fiasco, there's no map or anything. Like it's all theater of the mind. So <laughs> I spend a lot of time talking about things like uh, spatial reasoning. So how are you able to mentally orient like a, a space or map information in your in your mind when you're all working on the same mental map, uh, that kind of idea, how we categorize information? Um, is that a lot of decision making necessarily that you have to do in fiasco in the, in the way that we usually think of about decision making? So a little bit of that, uh, a lot of the kind of creativity stuff. So it was definitely trying to connect them to their the session that they just ran, but also just kind of broadly, these are the things that dominate how we play games. Do you see them in the game that you just played? God, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> psychology, psychology and RPGs, huh? Psychology and RPGs. I, I mean, I've, I finally found the thing that I, re I I've always enjoyed cognitive psychology. Um, 
I did all my work in grad school on language processing, which is interesting. I like language processing stuff. But We've now, talked a little bit about that, actually. Oh, like yeah, off, the, off mic. Yeah, we talked about swear words and in circles and stuff like that, which is just super cool. You should touch on it a little bit here because I just think it's awesome. And I think more people need to know that stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. So I, I did a lot of work on non-literal language. So it's going to be things like metaphor, sarcasm, humor, uh, and then profanity is a thing that Nevin and I have talked about. And so I... Because I swear a lot. Right. Because we're both... We both... I'm surprised... We haven't gone. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, <laughs> the profanity study that we just wrapped up actually was on profanity's relationship to two things, how we estimate things. So like size of something or weight of something or cost of something, but then also profanity's effect on your perceptions of honesty in another person, because Social norms and Gricean maxims assume that we are going to not lie to each other, that we're going to stay on topic, but also breaking social norms is a is an indicator that you you can trust me because uh, normally we should follow social norms. But if I'm breaking a norm in front of you, it's because I trust that you won't retaliate against me. So if I swear around you, it will actually create a perception that you trust me. It's so cool. God, I love it. Awesome. I don't I don't know that I have any like, oh, you know what? Um, what is something that you wish more game designers took to heart or like kept in mind when designing their games? And this will be the last question before we have, hop over to the AP segment. Oh, boy. Uh, something that I wish they kept in mind. It doesn't necessarily need to be like related to the psychology aspect, but I think that would be cool. So I, I guess here, here's my advice. If you want to design games and you want to design a game that has a degree of complexity or a degree of crunch to it, um, I really recommend, and this is, this is kind of the board game designer in me, but it applies to role-playing as well. If you're going to test a game uh, and you get playtesting feedback, don't make a million changes and then test the next version. You want to change one thing at a time. You need to do iterative testing like that because if you change too many variables, it will be impossible to tell why the game eventually works. You might still have broken stuff inside there. This is a thing that I, I have butted heads with a number of designers before who, like, things that people that I've co-designed with or have tried to help design things, they... They get feedback and then they try and change everything. They every they take every bit of feedback and then make all those changes, then run it again. And then when it doesn't work, they don't they think, well, none of those changes worked, but probably some of those changes did help. You just need to do mm -hmm. more. So this is like that sign, like I said earlier, this is that scientist part of me that I can't shut off of like, no, we need to collect data in a like a meaningful and like structured way. And that part of me is very hard. It's hard for me to turn that off when I think about design. So think like a scientist. That's my advice is be more like a scientist in your design. And trust me, it will help you. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Iterative design is very, very important, especially during playtesting and stuff for all the reasons you said. So we are going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, um, well, <clears throat> When the listeners come back, they'll be listening to the AP segment that we recorded yesterday. 
and when you and I come back, it will be after the AP segment and blah blah blah. This is gonna be really. I'll figure out how to do this smooth later. Mitch, leave all this rambling in. I don't care. Um, we figure out how we're gonna like refer to it as if we just played it, or nah, I'm not gonna try to keep up the illusion. It okay. doesn't matter. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll be back. The Old Magic Gaming Network is delighted to be partnered with Found Familiar Coffee, a group making specialty-grade coffee inspired by their love of fantasy role-playing games. The coffee is tasty as hell, and Found Familiar partners with various artists to create unique artwork for each flavor. Head on over to foundfamiliar.com and use the code OLDMAGICGAMING, all one word, at checkout for 10% off. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, we are here to play and then talk about Spencer Campbell's Slayers, a game about being monster hunters in a cursed, ever-shifting city. Slayers has a heavy focus on asymmetrical play with a simple resolution mechanic that allows entirely unique systems for each class while still being easy to pick up and understand. The rule of four is a super simple, clean, and quick resolution system. Anytime you roll a four or higher on a die when trying to do something, you succeed in doing the thing. It keeps things snappy and easy to understand, even though each class plays so differently. A game of Slayers is focused on solving the mystery of the monster you've been hired to hunt, and then hunt it down, and kick its ass, and get paid. There's a lot of room in this game for some cool intrigue, too. Today also marks the first time we've had another guest on the show. During this episode, I am stoked as fuck to introduce all-around wonderful person, good friend, and rad-as-fuck game designer, Adira Slattery. Adira, please introduce yourself and tell the folks about your stuff. Hello, uh, my name is Adira Slattery, uh, as Nevin so kindly already stated. Uh, I'm a game designer, a poet, podcast person, uh, all-around lady about town, Um yeah, uh, I'm at Adira Slattery on Twitter. Uh, I publish games over on itch at adira.itch.io. Um, yeah, Google me. I'm Adira Slattery everywhere. It's so good. It's it's really powerful. Um, oh, and Adira, just for the audience, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her. Excellent. Um, okay, Spencer, take it away. All right, let's do this thing. Let's, let's oh, hunt. Oh, wait, <gasps> hang on. No. Our characters, because <laughs> this is a separate episode from the thing where we made the characters. Oh, right. So I need to clarify. Um, so uh, we have our two characters. Uh, Adira is playing by the rules and using something from the core book, The Gunslinger, uh, named Parker Buchanan. And I am breaking every single rule and making something that I designed myself, The Berserker. And my name is Brat Bigley. Uh, the Gunslinger is all about using a revolver and shooting quick and shooting things. And the berserker is all about swinging a very fucking big sword and dealing more damage, the less health they have. Now you can take it away. Yeah. So when this playtest inevitably falls apart because of Nevin's broken class, it's my fault. Don't it's my fault. Don't at me. It's Nevin's fault. I'm I'm genuinely, I'm worried. It's going to be weak. I'm worried. It's too, too, too much glass. Not enough cannon. What better way to test it than live on this podcast? If it sucks, I can just record something else hmm. later. <laughs> I can Neat. just replace it. <laughs> I'm playing the blade. Just crudely pasting <laughs> another audio on top. It'll be perfect. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, welcome to The Cove. 
it's not a particularly pleasant place in the city. Uh, the sky is gray for the most part. It looms over a coastline that seems to stretch on and on and on. You know that the coastline has to end eventually because while the city itself that you live in doesn't end, districts have their own limits. Even still, the sort of steady rhythm of the inky water lapping against the beach gives it a place of a sense of eternity to it. I say beach in quotes because it's probably not a a good word to use um, because the whole thing is made of bones. Um, The cove seems to be where the remains of anything that ever walked in the city wash up someday. Um, A lot of people might say that it's an afterlife, um, but the fact that you can just walk in and out of the beach probably doesn't give that a whole lot of weight to it. Other people, the, the client that hired you, see it as a sort of treasure trove. You've been sent in by a group called the Corpsers. Um, they are a group of people that make goods from the remains of dead things, uh, usually in the space of like tinctures and tonics, but they also make weapons and other things like that. Uh, and you're there to investigate a disruption in the supply chain. So they, they normally send in these runners to the cove, but they haven't returned in about two weeks. And if they don't get the supply chain running again, their shops aren't going to be able to stay open. So you've been hired to figure out what's going on in the cove and deal with the disruption. So I want to paint the, the scene here, and I want to paint the scene with you, because that's a, a big part of the game is the fact that this city is nebulous and ever-shifting. I don't get to decide what it looks like or, or all components of it. You decide it with me. Um, and so we're going to hear, we're going to, the first thing we're going to get, the first sense is going to be sound of the kind of the crunch of the distinct bones uh, that is the beach of the cove. But I want to know about the district that you all just came from. Where did Grat and Parker come from? Um, because the city is made up of these distinct districts that almost feel like little biomes, little microcosms of their own thing. They have their own distinct cultures, their own distinct architecture and food and customs. And you all are going into the creepy bone beach. Uh, But the question is, where were you previous to the bone beach? And why were you there? Is it just simply a district that you travel through? Or were you doing a little bit of work? Um, And were you traveling together? Or are you meeting at the cove from separate places? I'm kind of like so the beach is like on the edge of the city right now. It's not like, well, could it be encircled the, by districts? Absolutely could be because in theory, there's no edge to the right. city. It just keeps going on and on. I cut, I kind of really like that visual. So I, I think it's definitely encircled. Um, what if we came from like a, a sort of port district that runs ships through the water in the beach to a district on the other side. Hmm. Yeah, that could be interesting. Cool. Are are we coming from the same place? Like, are we friends? I would. I would. I would like it if we are. Okay. Parker, we don't have to be, but I would like it. Parker could be your begrudging friend. Grat really yeah. needs friends. <laughs> we're we're together by circumstance. Mm-hmm. We're coworkers. We don't hate each other, but like, I'm. You wouldn't come over to my cookout. No. I think that's perfect. Excellent. (laughs) So we're going to see Parker and Grat coming from this sort of adjacent harbor-like, port-like 
uh, district. Uh, you've just come through. You're traveling together. You you are at least work acquaintances. Uh, I am curious. How long have you been work acquaint? Like, have you worked together with for a few hunts? Is this like a long standing friendship, or is this still kind of fresh? You I think? think like a couple months. Yeah. That that feels right for how we're not really friends. Mm-hmm. I think that I think a couple months is good. We've probably done like three or four jobs together, but we work with other people too. Yeah. We're okay. not exclusive. Cool. Exactly. Okay, so you're not exclusive slaying no. partner. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so we're coming from this this port and so there's always the kind of transition as you move from the terrain of one district into the next. And the, the biggest giveaway when you enter the cove is obviously the sound of the crunch of bones beneath your feet uh, as the, the kind of beach texture takes over from whatever texture was at the, the harbor, maybe some sort of like a wooden sidewalk of sorts, or, you know, you're walking along a dock and then suddenly crunch, 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 you're in bone town uh, and not the good bone town. You're in the bad mm. bone town. And the, so we, we've got a sense of like, this. It's like a shitty, it's like a sign on some shitty college dude's dorm door, bone town, right? But not the good. And then you walk town. in and there's just bones on the floor. Yeah, that right. I'll be honest, so like quite, that sounds like a really fun bone town. It's, maybe it is the good. This is the good bone. Yeah, we town. don't want to talk about the, bone the bad town we're bone all town. thinking is right. <laughs> That's another podcast. Um, so. We have a sound, but I want to know what is the first thing? What's the first thing that catches your Slayer's eye when you walk into the cove or the area around the cove? What's the first thing that just draws your attention? I have a very big pitch, but I want to hear Adira's idea. I think there are a bunch of skulls piled up in a mockery of a clown face. um, And uh, they're glowing. um, And... Uh, written all over them, it says, uh, "Welcome to Bone Town." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, uh, that's better than mine. <laughs> Damn straight. How good is your pitch now, Nevin? I mean, it's still pretty good, but not as good. Yeah, you don't have a clown skull face covered in. I was gonna. Bone Town. I, I was gonna make it a big spire made out of skeletons. Mm. Okay. But like. But there like massive and like off in the distance, you can barely see it through the fog. Yeah, I like both those things. Okay, both are good. So immediately, or very close to you, or maybe closer to you, is the glowing skull clown face welcome sign, welcome to Bone Town. Uh, and then off in the distance, lurking in the 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 foreboding mist, is a spire made of skeletons. And so we have a sense of sound and sight uh, around us. And the one other thing I want to ask of you as we're setting this this scene here is a memory. Maybe not even a memory, but a rumor that you've heard of the cove. Because maybe you've never been here or maybe you've been here many times. What's a rumor that you've heard about this place? And do you believe it? Uh, Grat has heard that there is some sort of magician that can bring creatures back to life uh, with only their bones. Mm. All right. Parker, There's really good heard? coffee here. Oh, sick. Fuck yes. Wow. What a, what a, what a magical place this is. <laughs> Parker, where's that coffee shop? I could use some beans. Well, let me, let me ask that follow-up question. Do you believe these rumors? 
so do you believe that there's a magician that uh, can do this sort of uh, reincarnation idea that you have skeptically. here? Skeptically. You're skeptic. skeptical about it. Uh, Parker, do you believe that there's really good coffee here? Uh, yeah, you know, weirder things have happened. <laughs> All right. Perfect. I hear All bones right, so... are pretty good for getting a little bit of an umami kick in there. It's the, oh, God, mm. my mind went to the egg coffee. Oh, God. Oh, it's no. the calcium. Now this podcast is cursed. You must explain what the egg coffee is. Shout out listeners. Shout out to the Brain Trust for introducing us to the most cursed coffee. Um, You take, you crack open uh, a couple eggs with the shell, you beat them, and then you boil it with coffee grounds in a in a pot and then you filter it and you drink it and apparently it's good multiple people you boil it with the shell you the boil shell the is shells. in there that's important yeah um allegedly it's pretty good i don't i don't trust the brain trust anymore it's the brain lies yeah so there's that there's maybe <laughs> the egg coffee here or maybe just good coffee in general. Uh, I guess we'll play to find out. There um, it is. There it is. <laughs> but we so we have a sense of sights and sounds. Um, a couple of other things that you notice are um, there's a pair of individuals that are. Well, I had here that they were rummaging through a pile of bones, but I feel like they're definitely rummaging through the Welcome to Bone Town skull pile now. So um, not only does that pile attract your attention but you see two individuals that are rummaging around in there they're 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 like looking at skulls and throwing them over their shoulders uh, as they kind of like dig deeper and deeper into this pile the other person that you see on this uh, this cove is actually knee deep in the water they're just kind of stare staring out towards the horizon um and they're they're a little bit further down the beach so i guess the closer thing is the skull welcome town further down person in the water. Uh, what do you all want to do to begin your investigation of the disruption of the corpser runners? I think Mr. Bigley, <laughs> um, just like oh. <laughs> Grant, like sort of nudges Parker with his elbow and just kind of goes, mm -hmm. uh, which one of them do you think seems like less trouble? It's a little early mm -hmm. in the day to really get going on something. All of them seem like, people who just sort of live here so all of them seem like trouble it's probably very true i don't i don't tr I, I got a bad feeling about the one in the water these guys just look like punks let's talk to them yeah so we'll uh i guess okay. we'll walk up maintaining a healthy distance from uh the dudes rummaging in the sign and i think Gret just goes good morning yeah, you see these two kind of gruff-looking individuals. They're tossing bones over their shoulders as they dig in. Like, one of them, you can't even see anything other than their legs. They're just kind of, like, waist-deep <laughs> in this pile like of skulls pit. right now, like, trying to find the right thing. The other one is a, it's a kind of a younger-looking man. Um, he's got... He's just covered in dirt, uh, and his hair is kind of patchy. Um, and you, you like, you can see like, it's extremely, extremely pale on the patchy parts, almost like bone white, uh, on the top parts of his head. And he's looking at these skulls and, uh, not even acknowledging that you've said anything, just looking at the skull, like bringing it up 
like eyeball to eyeball, socket to socket with his own, and then muttering something and then throwing it over the shoulder, looking for another one. They don't even seem to like realize that you're there. I think Parker's going to go climb up next to him. Okay. I'll maintain a like close distance behind Parker. Mm-hmm. Parker, are you trying to like sneak up or are you just like, here I come? I'm just going, here I come. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just kind of start climbing up the, the, the pile. Uh, you definitely notice that there's a number of different skulls of different shapes. They're not all human skulls. Mm-hmm. They're the skulls of all the monsters and various creatures that have lived in the city as well. Um, and you get right up next to this, this guy before he even like realizes that you're there. And he looks at you with this kind of like shocked look uh, and he smiles at you. And you notice he just has this beautiful smile, like beautiful, like gleaming white teeth. Oh no. Uh, and he's, he smiles at you uh, with just this look of shock and awe. And he's, you notice that he's kind of vibrating a little bit. Um, like he just, he, he can't stop moving. Uh, he's clearly had his coffee for the day and mm-hmm. he's just like, oh yeah. And he's just kind of like looking at you with this crazed smile on his face. Uh, Parker's going to go, got any good skulls? Oh, good skulls? We got the good skulls. We got all the good skulls. What, what kind of skull are you looking for? Uh, I'm looking for only the best, only the best skulls. Well, I mean, best, best for what? What do you need? You need it as like a whole soup. You need it for uh, like for the coffee. Do you need it for like for food? You need it for like a decoration. You need it for like a necklace. You need it for like a. And he's just gonna keep going. Uh, Parker's gonna interrupt him and say, "Information." Oh well, the mom. <laughs> well, most of them don't really have the brains in them anymore, so I don't. Yeah, really but know, you have um, a skull with brains in it. Well, I you have could, a skull with a brain. You could tell me things. Do you want to oh, tell I, me I things? I mean, I know we could talk. We're talking right now. I'm telling you things. Oh, wow. Great. Hey, that's fun. Um, yeah. Do you know, do you know Corpse Runners? Yeah. 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 They're, they, 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 they dig, they dig, they, they, they muck around. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I hear that sometimes they're getting kind of, kind of fucked around with. You know anything oh, about yeah, that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they fuck around with us, so we fuck around with them sometimes and then they fuck around with other things and they fuck around. There's a lot of fucking going on who, here who are at Bone Town. <laughs> There's a lot of fucking Me? going on in Bone yeah. Town. <laughs> I'm Roy. You're Roy. Hi, I'm Roy. Roy. Hi, Roy. Yeah. And he's just kind of like nodding like, yeah, I'm Roy. Are you part of a group, Roy? Oh, I have Roy's boys. Roy's boys. Hey, nice. Yeah. Are You, you all... want to join Roy's boys? Sure. Okay. Do I have, to be, named... Ro- Do I have to be named Roy? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Roy. Anybody can be in Roy's boys. Wonderful. Just find a good skull. And he just starts like going back looking for skulls. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Grat is just standing like at simultaneously like has a like has his arms crossed and then just kind of like scratches his forehead, just like, what the fuck? Roy's boys, huh? I guess. He, he hears like he hears his name and he goes, Oh, hi. Welcome to Roy's Boys. <laughs> Hi, it's uh, nice to meet you. So I'm Roy. We're, um, nice to meet you, Roy. I'm Grat. You seem very cheery. I, I mean, I'm. How could you not be? And he kind of like gestures around him, like, "Look, you know what? I can respect that." Okay. Um, it's like, like my friend here said, we're trying to. We're interested in knowing what exactly is going on with the the corpse runners. Uh, we hear some of them have been, I don't know, going missing. 
Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't have it in. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a while. Really? Uh, when was the last time you mm. saw? Mm, I don't know. Time is tricky I'm here. Don't... Uh, where was the last time you saw them? Where? Oh, uh, that yes. way. And he just points further down the beach. I'm gonna like um. All the way. good stuff around here. This is Roy's boys' turf. Corpse runners don't know not mm-hmm. to mess with Roy's boys' turf, but they go rummaging further down the beach. Um, I think Grat is gonna like stretch his shoulder a bit in a way that like makes the big fuck off sword on his back super obvious and i want to try and like um mechanically i want to try and roll negotiate here to get more information out of him Um, sure i mean are you trying to like intimidate roy yeah i think i'm trying to trying to i i want not necessarily to intimidate roy but to show roy that we kind of mean business and we need to we need to really make the magic happen okay because it kind of depends on your your intent mm-hmm. here, because negotiating is going to be like compelling or persuading somebody to to give you information or help you. But if you're trying to like straight up use your physical prowess as intimidation, then you would be rolling brawn. I just want to show um, them that we mean business. I don't okay. necessarily want to aggress Roy and his boys. Okay. <laughs> and and said boys. Uh, okay, so then go ahead and roll a negotiate. Uh, what is the size die that you have in negotiate. that is a d6 and i'm gonna use my right. fun little vice and die here we go that's a one bud yeah so roy he like roy sizes you up and down and he goes yeah yeah well you know i'm really busy right now so and i've got to go through like the whole roy's boys initiation with my new friend here so i mean i can't really give you the tour of the whole place uh, and he now like looks at you, Parker, and he's picking up skulls. And now instead of putting them against his own face, he's putting them up against your face, like trying to size them up. And he's like giving you like a long look like, mm, no, not exactly it. And then he he puts it down and he starts looking for other skulls. And now he's just putting skulls in front of Parker's face. OK, what exactly is the initiation? Parker, should we get out of here? I, it can't hurt. It could, though. <laughs> <laughs> can't hurt much. Why don't you try and get something out of him? He's not listening to me. Yeah, okay. Hey, Roy. Roy, Yeah? Buddy. Mm. Pal. Boss. Friend. Skull dude. All of those things. I'm all of those things. Yeah. So, how about you tell me a bit more about our hated enemies, the corpse runners? Yeah. They're the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. They're they're the fucking worst. They muck around. Yeah. how How do I... How do I find them if mm. I wanted to go if I wanted to go rough them up, you know, take take the fight to them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, course runners, again, they know this is Roy's boys turf, so they don't really stick around mm-hmm. here too much. They go further mm-hmm. down the beach. Normally, they do have to come by and we ask for like a little bit of a toll and we go back and forth. It's this whole mm-hmm. thing. They haven't come back to pay the toll in a little while. So, okay. I mean, my guess is that they're still rummaging around. Maybe they've mm. they've found all the good stuff and. They've had to go further, but, uh, you know, I, they, they're usually back out by now. So, you know, I can I can like I can point you in the right direction. And he just points towards like that. The coastline He's like that way. Um, but we've got like an initiation to get ready for. So, again, okay. I can't really do the whole tour. All right. Well, I've I've got to go, Roy. Oh, I'll come back for my initiation. Oh, OK. You'll yeah. be back. Mm-hmm. Do you mind one second? And like he starts putting his hand towards your face, 
Parker is going to put her hand on her gun, but not draw it. Okay. He just like rests his fingertips as like as far around the perimeter of your face as he can. So creepy. Like, I'm just, it's a sizing thing. Okay. And he kind of just like moves the hand like in a circle around your face. And then he kind of like holds the hand up and starts putting his hand against skulls in the pile now. Okay. All right. Well, catch you later, Roy. <laughs> and he like he almost goes to finger guns you back, but then he realizes he needs to keep the hand as the measurement, so he just gives you the one finger gun. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, quick, Parker quickly shuffle back down. away. <laughs> yeah, let's book it. He doesn't know my name. <laughs> yeah, so he's just humming to himself now, looking for just the right skull. I can't believe you went and made a new friend without me. It's not hard. Wow. Anyway, so that way, I guess. Yeah, that way. Okay. And we just walk that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, like I said before, the coast feels like it goes on and on and on. You notice, again, there's the skeletal spire off in the distance. Um, obviously, it gets closer mm-hmm. as you start to move. It's not one of those weird places that stays fixed on the horizon. It does get closer. Damn. Uh, as does the uh, person in the water who's standing like knee deep out in the water. Um, okay. You'll get to the person in the water before you get to the spire. Um, so which kind of which path or direction do you want to go towards? Should we like try to look around for any physical remnants yeah. and clues? I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Maybe like a streets or a hunt or something. Maybe we both do hunt. Yeah. If you're if you're trying to track like a, a particular type of thing or a t- particular type of person, then a hunt is going to be good for that. Um, okay. Study is also good if you just want like a general read of the scene. Um, so whichever of those that you're kind of like leaning towards. Why don't I study the person? Um, and Parker, you do like a study of the environment for any sort of clues. Sure, sure, yeah. Cool. Can I roll streets to sort of know a bit more about the sort of area? Absolutely. Altogether? Cool. Absolutely. All right, I got a six on streets. God damn it! <laughs> I got a one again! Oh, grat. Oh, grat. So... Uh, Parker, you got a, a six on streets, which is mm-hmm. a hit. You get success. Yeah. And so you wanted to know generally like stuff about this area here. Yeah. Yeah. And like how it navigates and things like that. He was talking about time being weird and he seemed a bit low on amount of like uh, uh, directionality he seemed to be pretty imprecise here. So it's like, is it non Euclidean? Is it mm. what, what, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that's kind of this, the, you, that sense that you have, meshes with kind of what you've learned about this place. I, Parker, have you been to the cove before or do you think this is uh, her first time here in I think this, this is district? her first time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you've heard the ideas that um, it's, you hear it a lot from the people who espouse this as a place of as an afterlife that it is kind of a different place each time you enter even though you can mm-hmm. walk in and walk out um like if there's a particular bone at the the border of the district and you cross out of it and you cross back in that bone's not going to be there it'll be something else um and so you get this sense that if you ever leave the district wherever you think things are aren't going to be there anymore almost as if this cove itself is procedurally generated um and so if like Roy or anybody has left, then they're going to have no idea where anything is in the distance. Um, the one thing that you do know is constant is the skeletal spire. Okay. 
it's like a um like a like a it's the nexus of this district Mm -hmm. uh grat you were looking for that person in the water i was just trying to like size them up yeah it's i mean you're still kind of a distance away from them they're just a all you see is a humanoid sized individual back to you no features that you can tell because they're wearing like kind of like a, a cloak or a robe or something um that just sits atop the water uh grass just gonna shout hey the wet one <laughs> as you shout the wet one into the distance um you hear in return a a humming sound like a song um it carries itself over the the wind, uh, kind of laps up against you as the waves lap up against the beach. This low and subtle humming sound that you hear it in your head. Um, it's not as if it's coming from a source. And you can almost like feel it in your jaw, this sound, as if it's just coming from inside you, in, inside your own skull. Um, it's low and subtle. Um, it's not like a spooky scary song it's just this kind of like hum like this constant almost like a like a like a radio frequency or some shit like that that i'm feeling and hearing in my skull space right cool uh hey parker do you hear that no i'm thinking about the geography right now it seems like really that spires really the most constant what what are you hearing there's like a humming i kind of feel it in my face too i don't like it i think it's coming from that person in the water another Uh, song hits you and you get like two tones now so you feel it one side of your face is kind of a lower one and the other side is kind of a higher pitch now and the they kind of go back and forth fluctuating in your in your face parker's gonna put her hand out and touch gret's face mm. to see if it's physically vibrating. <laughs> Gretch just kind yeah, of is like is. uh you can feel his his uh his jaw has this ever so slight vibration to it. Yeah, you're vibrating. I'm vibrating? Yeah. Um Do I feel like my head's going to explode? No, it's not painful. Um it's just uh you're just Okay. Ooh, well, it's, it's Parker, this seems like a, a trap, shaky. but I'm going to go see what's up over there because that, I don't know. My vibrations are pointing me in this direction, I guess. Hold on a sec. Uh, Can I roll tactics? Absolutely. I want to know about uh, just sort of like possibilities for approach on this person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I rolled an eight. So that's a success. Yes. So this person has their back to you. You can see that they're kind of humanoid uh, or human in size. Um, Obviously, it's they are out in the open water, knee deep. So there's no like mm-hmm. rock that you can sneak up behind them. But if you say just directly behind them, then obviously they won't be able to see you in their periphery. You can also see that this person has like a, a hood on, so they have okay. no peripheral vision going on. They are just staring off into the horizon. So as best you can, if you can be quiet in the water, you can have a total sneak up on this person. Okay. Yeah. So so great. It looks like that just sort of approaching directly from the back might be a good idea that hood is cutting down a lot of peripheral vision. And as long as we don't scream and announce our uh, approach, like you just did, um, we should be fine. (laughs) Always critiquing my (laughs) tactics all the time. Well, uh, I'm the one with the big stick, so I'll just try and be quiet. Let's see how this goes. 
I'm going to follow you. Okay. So you both are going in. Um, <gasps> I got you a, have a success. I got a four. Okay. So when We're you're both doing stealthing. The, yeah, stealthing. if you're both doing the same yeah. thing, um, you each, uh, whoever wants to roll it, is going to roll the dice of each person's size. So, oh, uh, Grat, what is your uh, stealth skill? D6. And then, Parker, you have a... D10. D10. So, uh, sounds like Parker's probably maybe leading the stealthing operation mm-hmm. what with the, the tactics. So, Parker gets to roll a D10 and a D6, and you'll take the highest one. Okay. That's pretty cool. My highest is a five. And that does it. That hits. Okay, so you... Parker, are you leading with Grat in the lead, or are you, like, follow me sort of thing? Um... No, Parker has Grant sort of out in the front, um, and uh, she is also physically positioning Grant in between herself and uh, whatever is in the water. So that way, if it looks, hopefully it'll just see Grant, mm, which it okay. already is sort of kind of aware of. Grat, right. Grat's big, so you could definitely mm-hmm. hide behind Grat. Okay. Yeah. So this thing is not like turning around. You're timing like your steps and everything with the waves as they come in. So that as like mm-hmm. a loud wave passes by, you kind of like make a little bit of movement uh, and you, you approach this figure. Um, I guess, Grat, since you are in front, what, what is your, your plan here? What would you like to do? Um, I mean, Grat is a simple man. Grat was just going to grab them by the shoulder and turn them around. Okay. So you go grab at the shoulder. Uh, the the cloth gives way immediately, uh, and the robe collapses into the water. Sweet. Or I guess not into the water. It's just holding. You're holding this empty robe now. Though you do hear a splash, and there's this gold skeletal mask that is floating in the water, and kind of like wave like the waves uh, lap it up against your shins. Um, and you both hear it now. You hear a, a humming, but this time it's actually like a melodic um, melodic humming rather than just this vibration. You hear a gentle kind of peaceful song being hummed at you from this mask. Parker shoots the mask. Okay, you can you can shoot the mask. We don't need to roll to shoot the mask. We'll assume that you shoot the mask. Okay. Um, yeah, you shoot it and it cracks immediately uh, and the humming stops. Perfect. Cool. <laughs> Let's leave. <laughs> what do we think that was it? It's it for now. <laughs> okay. And we just like trudge out of the water. I'm going to like just leave the cloak. Okay. Yeah. You mm-hmm. just cast it back into the water and it just, it will eventually wave, you know, wash its way to the shore. So you've, you've uh, disrobed the thing in the water. Uh, you got Roy's boys back at Skull Town. All right. Sorry. At Bone Town. We, we have uh, solved your creepy mask puzzle. Excellent. You've solved my creepy mask puzzle. And uh, um, still haven't found the corpsers. I guess we just keep walking down the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's walk okay. until we see something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you begin to move off further down into the, the beach. I want to ask you each a question here, because as you're walking, you're seeing these remains, these different bones uh, along the ground. Which remains look familiar or maybe remind you of the last thing that you hunted there's a big um like a dire wolf skull but it's got like eight eyes gross and awesome i think parker sees a lot of little hands 
just like a lot of little hands Ooh. and the bones are all still in the hand position are, and it's like are they like um sticking up like plants no they're more like sort of crouched like spiders Ooh, but they're like not aim. moving that's yeah, fucking just a, cool a oh that's cool <laughs> child bone hands oh my god god that's so yes, good of course that's there um so yeah you you each see these remains as you're walking along and i think it's as you each individually like clock the the remains of, the, of your previous hunt the ground begins to uh vibrate now um and i guess vibrate is maybe a little tame it begins to shake pretty violently uh and kind of erupting from this pile of bones is a ring of skeletons uh that now surround the two of you um and Beyond the skeletons, as you kind of like pivot around you and get a, a sense of how many skeletons there are, there are four skeletons that have surrounded you. Um, as you're spinning around, getting a, a sense of it, like after you spin around twice to get a, like, all right, there's four of them, uh, you see a figure that's standing just beyond the skeletons. Um, and it is a cloaked figure, has the same cloak as the one that you found in the water. You see a golden kind of the glint of a golden skeletal mask coming from below the, the hood of the cloak. The other features you notice is that this person has um, extremely pale, emaciated skin. Like it's just taut on their bones on their arm and leg. And I say arm and leg because the other arm and leg that they have are entirely skeletal, though the skeleton is made of gold. Uh, so it's not kind of the bleached white bones, but instead a golden skeletal arm and a golden skeletal leg. Um, the one other feature you notice about this this uh, this being is that they carry a long staff in hand. Uh, and as they look at you, you feel the vibration. Both of you now feel that vibration in your jawline. And they bring their the staff to their mouth of their skeletal mask. And you hear a song begin to play, a melodic song similar to what you had heard when you first saw the mask in the water. Fuck yes. And I think it's time for us to fight some monsters. Yes. So we're going to enter our, our combat here. Uh, how this works is we need to determine the turn order to, to decide who is going first and who's going to go last. Um, so you each have a speed. Uh, that is determined by your character starting stats, but also Parker took an advance during character creation that allows her to be a little bit quicker during turn order. So you're each going to roll a speed. Um, I'm not going to roll speed for monsters because monsters in Slayers all have a flat speed score so that we're not all spending time rolling a bunch of different uh, scores. So for now, I just need a speed score from the two of you. I rolled a four. I rolled a three. Parker is at a four. Uh, Grat is at a three. Cool. Uh, and then the way that this works is, obviously, it's like any other uh, initiative system. Highest score is going to go first. Lowest score is going to go last. And if there's a tie, um, slayers always win ties. So if you're tied with a monster, uh, then you are going to go before said monster. Mm -hmm. Um Unfortunately for for you all, uh, this this singing skeletal being is relatively quick, or at least quicker on its feet than the two of you are right now, uh, and it's going to go first. And so you see uh, 
the it has brought the staff to its mouth and you notice now that the staff has a number of holes in it it's a huge flute essentially and so it brings its hands along the flute and it's using it to play a song uh and the singer is uh is looking at you all but you can see that it it's kind of looking beyond you and one of the skeletons that's next to you just explodes uh, the skeleton explodes, and you get hit by this um, spray of sharp bones uh, around you. Uh, and you each are going to take two damage, because the bone priest has decided to sacrifice the skeleton right away and explode you for some damage. And so that's the action that the monster is going to take. Nevin, do you want me to like explain some rules along the way here? Is that Yeah, yeah. As, they, okay. as they come up, go ahead and like explain them. That way the listeners know what's up. So it's an action economy thing. Uh, Slayers are always going to take two actions on their turns. Monsters are going to take one, two, maybe more, depending on the specific stats of the monster. Um, so the the Bone Singer uh, is has one action, and it's using one of the list of actions that I have here in the stat block to essentially sacrifice one of its skeletons to explode, which then deals damage to anybody that's near that skeleton. Uh, so you all get rained upon with this these horrible shrapnel-like bones. But now there's only three skeletons and the, the singer there near you. Um, Parker, you are next. There are three yeah. kind of skeletons in a semicircle around you. They've definitely positioned themselves in such a way that they're like to your side and between you and the singer. Can I fire past them? Yes. Yeah, Parker's going to just ignore these skeletons. Generally thinking, these guys are Gret's job. Um, and, uh, just, just going to unload, uh, four bullets into the singer. Okay. Yeah. So you pick up four bullets from your gun for damage because one of them was a runic hollow bullet that does Ooh. plus two. Boom. So yeah, you, you have a particularly powerful, uh, chamber in your gun that you took during character creation. That means any bullet from that chamber is really powerful. So you, you do four damage to this this uh this singer and you can see that the bullets they kind of like fly through one of them like chips away at the 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 staff and there's a it's not that the song stops it's that the song takes a minor chord now and like it goes into a minor scale uh, and becomes much sadder than it was before it was actually like surprisingly pleasant for a bone priest to be uh singing but now it's a sad song um, because you messed with the staff and you you shot it it's difficult to tell how diff you know how hurt the creature is because it is like covered mostly in rags and bones but you can see that it has like been rocked back a bit uh and and has taken a hit here you also have another action that you can take you can either move or use your quick action to reload some bullets or you can use any of your skills if you want to to position things or gain an advantage on something or learn something yeah um so there's three skeletons in between me and Gret and the singer, right? Yes. I want to position myself in a way that when Gret like goes in and charges at these skeletons, it will sort of require the singer to focus their efforts on only one of us as opposed to attacking both of us like they were just able to. So you want to kind of like spread out, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, move away from mm-hmm. from from Grat. Okay, so yeah, so you kind of peel away from Grat, and so that the two of you are separated enough that 
this thing is going to have to focus on one of you or the skeletons are going to have to focus on one of you. Hopefully it's... Go ahead. Roll tactics to sort of cement this as being useful. Excellent. Uh, but I rolled a three. So okay. So I mean, space. yeah. So you still like you can still move. It's maybe mm. you haven't managed to position yourself in such a way that you are super far away. Like the you might still mm. get a little bit of attention from the thing, but you've you've split yourselves enough that there's going to yeah. be some tension from the enemy side. What they're going to be doing. Grat, you and the skeletons both have the same turn speed, and so you are each going to go at, uh, well, you're going to go first, because like I said, slayers get to go before monsters. So you see the same thing that I described before, semicircle of skeletons, though now Parker has kind of peeled away from you so that you've got skeletons around you and the priest in front of you. Okay, cool. Uh, So my attack action, um, cleave, I attack a monster at engaged or near range, roll to hit, and any damage that is like left, like if I kill a skeleton and there's any damage left over, it goes to another skeleton at engaged or near range. Um, just swinging this huge sword around. Yep, just fucking whipping it. Um, I am going to go ahead and I'm going to use my quick action to bear down and use fortitude. So until my next turn, damage I take is reduced by two. Oh, okay. um, and then I'm just going to fucking cleave. <laughs> okay. Are you going for the, like, which skeleton do you want to focus on? Here? Um, I'm going to, so if they're in like a semicircle in front of me, I'm going to start at the right and then sweep okay. to the left. <laughs> just go at a Just going to fucking can. baseball bat them. All right, go ahead and swing and tell me what, how many hits you get. No hits. Oh, no. <laughs> so... So you swing this big sword, and I think it's just too—it's just too slow. It's this real slow sword, and so the skeleton like turns, and we see it just kind of like watching the sword coming towards it, and it steps back just enough so that you just slice between two spots on the rib cage. You know that you would have made contact had you been just slightly faster. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of go. Ah, fuck! I'm still warming up. Hang on. Hang so on. The, so these skeletons. Uh, they are going to they're going to go next and they are going to swarm the shit out of grad here because mm-hmm. uh, that that just seems like the thing that they would do. So Good. hit me. Give me more dice. They all come towards you uh, and they are going to roll to attack you. Um, now, skeletons have a an ability that's called uh, swarm. If they're attacking you and there's enough of them, they get an advantage on their attacks. Uh, as they just try and claw into your body as best they can with uh, with their well with their claw like hands, uh, the problem is, which I'm I'm realizing now, is that they're not going to be able to hurt you even if they even if they hit you because your power makes you negate all this damage. But I'm going to have them roll it anyway because the skeletons don't know that. Oh, um, <laughs> so they come swarming at you, um, and I'm just going to roll real quick to see how many of them hit. Only two of the skeletons hit, but their claws don't like make purchase against you because you you've kind of like you said you've bared down here. What is it? What does it look like as you um, not get hurt? He just you like just sit there. no, he's de- like he's still getting hit and it still like hurts. But the idea is that he's just like gritting his teeth and burying it so it doesn't like get to him. Mm, if if okay. HP is a measure of like morale and meat points then mm-hmm. he's just like overpowering okay. and also i've written down a note to lower that number to one instead of two 
I like that note. Uh... We can we can go <laughs> ahead and apply that moving forward. Okay. This is live makes, game that, design, that baby. Might be, that might make the the fight slightly more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so that's the turn order. We go back to the top where the singer has uh, has to make a decision on who on who to focus on, and kind of being frustrated with the grat situation is going to use its ability to raise up a skeleton from the ground. So a song, you feel this like pulse come from the bottom of the staff as this note, this chord gets played into the ground, and then the skeleton comes bursting out. And now, grat, you've got a skeleton right behind you. Uh, so you've got kind of four completely encircling you uh, at this point, all trying to clamor and, and claw the shit out of you. Uh, so that's the, the, the turn for the bone singer Parker. Yeah. Um, so Grant seems to be doing fine. Um, <laughs> Grant's great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Parker's going to load two more bullets and then unload all four of the bullets into the singer. Beautiful. Three damage. Okay. And Parker, what does it look like when you're when you're making like when you shoot a lot of bullets from your gun? Is it like, are you fanning the hammer? Are you doing like a is it a careful shot? Like what does it look like as Parker lays some pain down? Um, I think what it looks like is uh, the gun has um, uh, two triggers. Mm. Um, there's one trigger that's about firing bullets, and then there's another trigger that is rotating the chamber without the hammer ever going back up so cool very cool um yeah so she's almost able to just sort of like hold them both down and it just like sprays that's awesome Um, uh and uh like the chamber appears to spin on its of its like like it's like it's possessed style that's so cool so yeah we see this this kind of rapid fire come from from Parker and it, the sounds of the bullets, you know, the gun going off, echoing across the beach here. The the sounds are met with a frantic change in the pace of the song from the the this bone priest, uh, because you can see that even though only see it's not fully alive that you have done like sizable damage, like there's like. P- f- of the flesh that it has, it's just got huge holes in it, or it's hanging loose from its body now. Um, in fact, I think you can see it like it looks at you, and you see that the mask isn't broken, but you can see that there's a huge dent in part of the mask, and so this thing is not looking good, and it's it might be even a little scared, might be a little worried about uh, getting shot like this. Nice. Uh, anything else that you would like to do, Parker, with your... Oh, you reloaded. Yeah, That's I reloaded right. for my first action. Perfect. Um, okay, Grat, you are surrounded by four Skellingtons. Um, can use my quick action for Fury. Uh, until my next turn, I hit on a, I hit on 3+, and monsters hit me on a 3+. Ah, and, bringing the pain. And once again, I'm just going to swing them. Hey, hey, that's two hits. Okay, so how much damage do you do per hit as a berserker? That is that is three per hit. So I'm hitting the the furthest right one. Actually, I'm gonna hit the one that came up behind me and then like sweep around to the next one if I kill this this first one. You said two hits. Two hits. Sorry. Two so hits. six damage. Yeah. So you just boom, boom, two skeletons uh, as you kind of cleave across. You do enough damage to just cut two of them down. Is it a 
like a clean cleave, like a cut in half, or is it like a smashing sort of thing? What does it I look think, like? You... I think I, I think after the last thing, I like turn the blade sideways and hit mm. him with the flat of it. Okay, so you're gonna go with that, like just bludgeoning them to if, death. If I wasn't baseballing, baseballing them before, I am now. Yeah. Awesome, sweet. Uh, so you baseball these skeletons, which not only kills two of them but brings their numbers down, so that during their turn, which is now they don't have those advantages that they had before. Um, so the two that are remaining are going to try and just claw at oh. you desperately. Oh, Inv- sorry. Invigoration. I gain two, I gain one health per enemy I defeat. So I'm back up to 12. Oh, congratulations. All right. So you back up to 12 as you, you feel empowered having crushed these yeah. bone baddies. Uh, well, they're going to try and crush you back here, Good, flailing as, they, as best they can with their tiny little skeletal hands. Not quite child size. We're not getting the, the same vibe as Parker's horrifying previous hunt, but uh, terrifying nonetheless. Uh, so they're going to roll. You say they hit on a three plus? Yeah, they hit on a three plus. So one is going to hit and then two are going to hit. They each Excellent. deal one damage each normally, which I think is going to hit because you've you've gone out of bear down yeah, form and you're yeah. in fury form. I'm no longer using fortitude, so So this Sweet. is gonna be two damage to okay. the Berserker. So I go you're gonna have to remind to me, does does this change your damage that you're doing or anything yet? Not yet. Um the damage is chain I gain another die to roll for attacks for every three points like tiered below my max I get. Mm. So when I get down to nine hit points, I I okay. will take some damage or i will gain another die but for now i don't all right that takes us back up to the top of the list here where the the bone singer is uh playing a desperate song trying to stay alive as best it can um trying to figure out what to do in this situation um and in the desperation uh summons another you hear the cord go through the ground and summons a skeleton right in front of you parker to like try and put something between you and it uh Mm -hmm. and so suddenly you just feel this like you feel the ground beneath you erupt as these two hands come bursting out and the skeleton claws its way out from the the beach below and stands menacingly in front of you uh and it's your turn now what do you want to do so my gun's out of bullets yeah and there's a skeleton in front of me yeah um so now if i load two bullets and aim it such that if both of them hit the first bullet blows up the skeleton in front of me and the second one flies through to the singer that's an advance you can get later that lets you target multiple Ah. people um right now you are even though you're a 10-year vet, according to your backstory, you're a, a baby slayer in terms of character sheets, and so you don't have that advance yet. No problem. I wasn't sure if that was a thing I could do with tactics. Um, hmm. uh, so it's like right by me. I just, I'm just going to ignore it. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to load two more bullets and fire them at the singer. That seems like it's on its last legs, and it, these skeletons might just go away. So you're going to try and fire at this, this thing now. Um, I think that the the skeleton in front of you is going to try and obviously interfere with this. Yeah. And so this is going to be a disadvantage on your attack, which means you're going to have to roll twice and take the lower roll as you as you make these shots. Okay. All right. Well, um, my first bullet in my first chamber hits because uh, I rolled a six and a five. Ooh. 
Um, and that's the one that's the runic hollow bullet. So it does three damage. And then my second bullet misses. Well, Parker, tell me what it looks like as you destroy this bone singer with that, that hollow point. Uh, um, despite the skeleton's efforts to get in your way, you strike true. Yeah, I think um, as the bullet, we so like the camera sort of zooms in and we follow the bullet as it flies. You know, that, that classic action movie so shot. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, uh, you can look in and see uh, the, like the bullet itself um, is uh, like still sort of glowing with the magic from the barrel that it was fired from. Um, uh, and uh, as it hits the uh, mask of the singer, the bullet sort of has an extra bit of spin on it and it almost drills through Ooh, that gold mask. Yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. As then the head behind that explodes. Absolutely. We just, the sickening explosion and crunch as the back of the robe kind of explodes out as the, the what remains of the skull and, and body of this, uh, this creature explode out of the back of the hood. Uh, and we see it just collapse down into the ground. Sweet. The, the, the bone singer is dead. The skeletons that are, uh, that have been brought and summoned by the uh, bone slinger or bone singer stand still. They don't collapse, but they just kind of like freeze in place. So I guess I want to ask, what do you do with these animated slash not animated skeletons? Grad is going to like get up real close to one of them and just like wave a hand in front of its face. Does it do anything? Mm-mm. It just stares at you. The, the, the empty sockets of its eyes just stare at you. Parker sits down, leaning her back against the leg of the skeleton that's in front of her and loads her bullet. Nice. Yeah, so we we are out of combat right now. So you can just pop, pop all those bullets back in your gun. Uh, so you've killed the Bone Singer. The remaining skeletons sit still. What do you want to do? Is the is the flute still there? The flute is still there, and the Bone Singer's corpse is there. It hasn't collapsed into a pile of robes like it did before. I'm gonna investigate that corpse. Yeah. So I think this is a, a good place for us to kind of get our like last shot of what's going on here. We see the two of you kind of going forward towards the corpse and you see that uh, as you kind of rummage through the robes, yeah, there is indeed like this half skeletal, golden skeletal, half human body beneath. One thing that you see kind of worn proudly around the neck of this this being is a it's a small pendant that you see a lot of slayers wear as like a marker of that they are a slayer. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one that uh, blades typically wear, the the other kind of melee uh, class in the game. This is a blade license that this bone singer is wearing around its neck. Um, and around the skeletal bodies that had uh, that you had been fighting, you realize that they have pendants kind of like these like ribbons that the corpse runners wear around their arms are woven into their rib cages so it seems that you have found the missing runners for the corpsers but now you also found either somebody that has killed a slayer or a slayer that has turned it seems like your hunt is really just beginning but i think that's all we're gonna do for today fuck yeah so that Good shit. that's it that's that's slayers in a in a quick little quick little fight Woo! awesome well thank you uh thank you spencer for running this you and i 
have an interview thing to cut to with the magic of editing that we're actually going to record tomorrow. So natural. And Adira, thank you. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Adira. This was awesome. Yeah. Um, do me a favor. Go ahead and plug yourself one more time for the people listening. Sure. Yeah. I- I'm Adira Slattery. Uh, I'm a game designer and I do other things. Um, you can find my games at adira.itch.io. Uh, I'm a frequent guest on the One Shot podcast, um, and that's fun. Um, and uh, on Twitter, I'm at Adira Slattery, and as always, Google me. It it does not get old. It gets, it's equally impressive it's so every powerful. time you said it. <laughs> All right, well, that is it. Thank you. Um, I haven't had to end one of these segments for a future thing before like this, so we're just going to take a quick break and be right back. Bye. Bye. Was more than just a lot Stealing kisses in the dark And then with a slot machine playing We would rumba to some pretty And we're back! Uh, You have just listened to the actual play segment that we recorded yesterday with the very, very good Adira Slattery. Um, I can't believe how much shit y'all gave me for playing as the Berserker. (laughs) I I still... Yeah, you're on blast. It's just a constant I blast. am on blast. It's going to be constant. But that's that's our relationship, you and I. is It's a it's blasting relationship. Um, so I I just want to say, like, I I really like the game and I really like how simple it is with the, the rule of four and all that stuff to just pick up and move forward. Um, but what I especially like is how easy it is to design something for this game. Because, like, you sent me those rules and, like, Within what 30 minutes, I had something written up and we've seen in the brain trust last night, Adira wrote like three classes and she just dropped another one this morning. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's people have just been churning stuff out, which is I think very it's, cool. I think it's easier to design for this because there's only two real rules that you need to have with your class. And that's four plus is important. And it needs to use the dice in a way no other classes do. So right now it's easy, but later on, like if people are writing supplements a year from now, they're going to have to get really fucking weird with their dice. And that's just as cool. I know. I'm like, I am excited when the well starts to get drier and drier, what people come up with in terms of playing and using and like, you know, are we getting into the dexterity realm where we're flicking dice and stacking dice on towers and you know, there's going to be a lot of really neat stuff, I think, eventually that, that if, people are going to come Vid up with. If Vid gets his hands on it, there's going to be something about putting dice in your mouth for sure. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. that's Vid's whole thing. <laughs> um, What gave you the idea for the rule of four? So this came from after my first two versions of Slayers became way too unwieldy for me to figure out. So I've I've always knew that the premise had to be everyone every class is going to play the game differently which is in my opinion a fun idea but a huge pain in the ass because how do four different people play the same game fairly with one another even though it's not competitive like how is the gm going to coordinate four different rule sets without having to learn four different characters and stuff like that and so the original iterations of slayers had things like an equivalent to ac so you were you were rolling dice in the same way that you, the classes currently roll dice, but you were trying to hit some sort of armor class value. And then if you hit, you would roll again for damage. It was very 
you know, kind of more traditional. Very trad. Very yeah. trad. Uh, and so there was like kind of the idea of stagnant AC for a while. And then I played around with this weird, uh, your turn order score, your initiative score was your AC because it was a representation of how battle ready you were. So faster people were harder to hit. And then you could, then you had like abilities that would shift you around in the turn order. And that became a, a horrible logistical nightmare for the GM to try and track. I mean, but that does seem like a cool idea for a different game. Exactly. Like I, I want to use that idea. That's a cool idea, but I can see how it would be a problem here where everybody also works differently. Exactly. If everyone was playing by the same rules, cool idea right now. Going back to the cognitive psychology, your brain is just falling apart trying to do this. It's too much. So then I, that kind of led me to this idea of everybody just needs, we just need a a thing that applies across the board. Because the other big problem was I had AC as like the combat thing you had to hit an AC, but skills outside of combat were still like this idea of like, a four plus is a success when you're just trying to do a thing outside. So you had asymmetry in how not combat and combat works. And so like that that is like four different rule sets to try and keep track of at once. It sounds like a fucking mess. It was a huge mess. And so obviously in early testing, there was a lot of confusion and questions and things like that. And so the honestly, it wasn't even the AC stuff that pushed it. It was me just looking at it and going, wait a minute, why are why is non-combat and combat resolved with a different core mechanic? It has to be the same thing. And so the skills way of having it be four plus is simple. Let me take that simplicity and just find a way to recast these classes using this idea of four plus is success. Four plus is a good thing rather than doing AC. Um, so that's how I got to this idea of the four like the rule of four as the the core thing that sits inside everything in Slayers. Everything is around rolling a four or above on any die, no matter how many you roll. That's all you need to know. Were the classes very different before you came up with that rule of four and that unity? Were like take the blade for example. The blade does combos. Were mm-hmm. they different before you came up with the rule of four? So and be- when they were doing the AC and stuff like that. Yeah, so before the blades, the blade was still a combo, but the combo just triggered if you rolled the... It was really hard for me to come up with wording for this. The top half of the dice. So four, five, or six if you're rolling a d6. Three, four if you're rolling a, a d4. Uh, because I originally intended okay. on making blades that had different dice, uh, different size dice to kind of represent different weapons. And so that would be the combo thing. And then you'd add up how many dice hit in the combo and compare that to the AC and then roll them again for damage. And again, we can see that it got another mess. and it was another mess. So the combo element was still there, but it wasn't so simple in terms of understanding when the combo is happening and what the combo means. Interesting, interesting, interesting. When you finally did have that epiphany moment and like you went back and i'm like obviously you reworked the classes so that they all worked with this Mm -hmm. new thing um what was it like coming up with these classes like what sort of difficulties did you run into with creating four classes that play so differently 
but still like have roughly the same amount of power because it, it is a fairly balanced game. Yeah, that that just again, kind of going back to the idea of iterative testing came from doing it small changes and we would do like I have a I had a, a group of friends that we, we would just do danger room scenarios, combat sims where we would just reset, put a couple of monsters in front of them, fight, see how it felt, make a change, reset the room, do it again. And we would just like, we grind combat like that until it started to feel balanced until it started to feel satisfying. But more importantly, it started that it felt fun to play. Like I I throw in the book. It's in the book. This game isn't balanced. It's not going to be balanced. You you there's no numbers you can look at to try and like see is this a satisfying balance. But that's because I'm an advocate for perceived balance as opposed to mathematical balance. Like mathematically, these yes. classes are probably not balanced. Um, you can't, there's no CR number to see if the monster is a fair fight or not, but does it feel balanced? Does it feel cool to play your character? Like if it does, that's all we need. Like that's all that I, I, um, it, yeah. If yeah. You feel this like is, this is another thing. You're good. This is this is another thing where like our our brain design games meld. Mm -hmm. I'm a big big proponent of feel over numbers. Right. Um, I I was on Game Closet and I straight up said fuck balance and I will mm -hmm. say it again. Fully agree. As long as long as the players like feel it's what it reminds me of is there was a this is like one of my favorite stories about game balancing. I want to say it was Call of Duty. Call, call of duty sorry i will use proper phonetics um there was a gun there were two guns in that game that had the exact same stats one was the gun for like one side of world war one one was a gun for the other side the guns were literally the exact same set same rate of fire same damage same spread same everything with different models mm. and the difference is that the axis side had a different sound that was the oh, only oh. real difference between the gun. But because of the sound, players in testing and like not even in testing, but after the game had released, players were complaining about how underpowered this gun was. And and then they were also saying like how overpowered this other gun was. Whoa. They were the exact same statistically. Right. Um, and the fix was they changed the sound on the axis gun they just changed the sound they changed nothing else about it and players were like yeah we got a buff to this gun now it's one of my favorites it's all about perception yep it's so so much about perception and that also leads into like the psychology of design and all that stuff in a very real way absolutely every every time i teach statistics or research methods to students or cognitive psychology i tell them we as human beings are fantastic pattern recognition machines but we're also garbage at things like probability and understanding randomness and stuff like that and so mm -hmm. just throw that idea of assuming we will think about things in a logically like we will do the stats in our brain we won't we won't we don't understand what randomness is so just make it feel good there's some you see stuff similar to that too in like any game that lets you mouse over a weapon like destiny you mouse over a gun in Destiny and you see all these different meters. They don't like that. Those meters don't actually tell us everything. Right. They tell it. They're like summaries. Mm -hmm. And that's I just I love shit like that. I think it's so good. Um, something we haven't talked about yet is the city. Mm. I want to know about this. This this fucked up cursed city that's constantly just like I'm I'm always imagining it like a hex crawl where the hexes are coming in and out. Um, so. 
Tell us a bit about the city and what creating the city was like. The hex crawl is absolutely the inspiration behind the city. So this, the city is the setting of Slayers, where um, it is. It takes the the term urban sprawl literally. Like it is a city that just always spreads and spreads and spreads. It's you know either it's cursed or there's something causing it. Who knows what? But for some reason, this has been going on forever. So it's just called the city. Nobody even knows the real history of it anymore. And as a result, you're getting new districts, new neighborhoods kind of popping in and out just over time. My love of weird cities comes from my love of games like Blades in the Dark, like Spire in particular. Spire is one of my favorite role-playing games, just generally speaking. And this concept of this mile-high, very weird city is exciting to me. And so seeing games that take weird cities as as the place that all it all takes place in is very exciting to me and then this idea of hex crawl as you were mentioning that's that's where i get this idea of this the city spreading constantly is that my my goal my plan was and it still is is to just keep supporting slayers i just want to keep making slayer stuff but i also want people to make slayers things and one thing that people can make then are districts they can make part of the city and if there's a way to do it in like an interesting way, like with a hex crawl or with a deck of cards or something like that, you can now just shuffle in new districts into your hex crawl and just throw it onto the map. And then, boom, you have your own unique, strange looking version of the city that's going to be different than another tables. It's the same kind of vibe, but where things are oriented or, or located is going to be wildly different than another tables. And I really like that idea. It kind of reminds me of... Um what heart is doing yes yes exactly where like you they literally ship if you if you back at a certain tier or whatever they ship you a map that you can put stickers on and i did oh me too i'm so excited <laughs> i i recently got my email for like hey fill out your survey and i'm i will be honest i did not just get heart um i did get all of the other books so yeah. in like a month i'm gonna get a big box with too many books in it Mm -hmm. the city is super super cool and i am a, a what i really like about it is that it tells players who gives a shit put whatever in here make a weird district make a normal district make the you could put i mean it is specifically like the the start of the industrial revolution right yeah but you, you could put a suburb in here yeah totally you could the yeah. way stuff I, I could see even like weird time shit happening in the city. Um, Absolutely. Like if, if your group is like relatively new to role playing or only comfortable in like the D and D space, but you want to try slayers, then yeah, throw districts in there that are going to feel like D and D put, put forgotten realms, the hex, right? That like, that could just be a, a, a district in the city. Or if you all come from playing like a lot of, you know, Western Shadow games Run or Shadowrun oh, or anything. Yeah. You like, you can make a district that feels like that so that you can like, you can start to transition into playing Slayers and understanding like, oh, here's something that we're comfortable with. And then once you get comfortable with it and you want to leave that district, then you can start really playing around with it. You know, it's really cool. God, like, it's so cool. Like Banana Chan is writing uh, an adventure and the district is essentially like hollywood it's it's kind of like hollywood but with a weird obviously industrial culty vibe to it and i'm so excited for banana chen's adventure it's got me fucked up 
the I mean the draft is is fantastic. I can't wait for it to be like a thing for everybody to see because it, it yes, it's wildly different than anything I could have come up with or that I had come up with with the city. And that's exactly like you said. I want people to just put weird shit in this game. I want them to just be free to make whatever they want with this game. Yes, good. Now let's talk about the monsters. Mm. So there is, I mean, how many monsters is Slayers dropping with? Right now, there are 25 monsters in the book. Um, and then depending on a few factors here, spacing and timing and and, and weight and stuff like that, I'm, I want to try and get somewhere between 25 to 30 monsters for it to drop within the, this kind of core book. And the, the monsters, they don't really have like stat blocks, quote unquote. You, you list like the actions that they can do, how much health they have and how much damage they do. But because of how Slayers work, there's not like this is this monster's AC. This is their wisdom or ag- agility or whatever. Right. Um, monsters don't have skills. They don't have stats. They have they have like a selection of actions. Correct. And that was all because of how simple you were trying to make everything. Um, Sorry, brain, brain, no work. No worries. Head hurt, brain empty. I'll just ask, like, what are some of your favorite monsters or what are some of uh, your favorite things that you've seen happen with monsters? Mm -hmm. So in the actual play, we got to see one of my favorite monsters, which is this like bone singer, bone bone priest thing, which is, you know, it's both kind of religious, but also just weird. This 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 being that can sing songs or play music that that animates dead and gets them to do things is very exciting to me. There's a um, there's a puppeteer, a weird puppet master uh, sort of thing that has an army of creepy puppets that they command that's in there. Um, I've got I've I in like every game I try. I, I like putting in I'm fascinated with this idea of a Harlequin, um, like kind of the strange jester like character characters that are like in plays, but also like there's some folklore and mythology behind harlequin so there's harlequins in there which are really just like a a theater troupe that goes around doing crime in districts and so they distract you with a engaging show while they're stabbing you in the back or robbing you so there's a lot there's a lot of stuff like that but then you will see monsters that people are familiar with like you're going to see things like a troll but you have to understand it's a troll that lives in a giant city uh, so what does that necessarily mean? Uh, it, it and that it kind of depends on the district. That's that's what I want to lean into. This idea is that monsters will feel different in districts, or will feel appropriate in in districts. So uh, in the book, I encourage people when you start a hunt, when you start an adventure, don't just go find the monster right away. Like learn about the district that you're in because the architecture of the district, the culture of the district are probably going to give you information that you need to know about the monster that you're fighting. Like you'll understand the grounds that you're going to find it on. You're going to understand why it's in that district and things like that. And so that's that's the stuff that I'm very excited about with monsters. Hell yeah. I like that a lot. I really like the the sort of um, moldability is is the word I'll use of monsters and the encouragement of players to not just go into the cave and kill the goblins. Right. Um, you mean, mentioned a couple there. You can do that if you want. You can do that. But like, why? Right. Why when you can do something way more interesting than that? Exactly. We've been we've been killing goblins in caves since the 80s. It's not that cool. There are infinitely cooler things that we could be fighting and hunting. yes and, and there's also like thematically 
there's better things in, that we yes. can be doing than killing something where it lives. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be that'd be nice. <clears throat> so I noticed so you there's the bone singer that we fought in mm. the AP segment and you mentioned like a puppeteer that controls a bunch of puppets. Do you tend to like lean towards the minion master kind of monster in this? I I think that I think that that kind of monster lends itself very well to an interesting combat encounter because you've got everything you need right there, right? You've got the boss and you've got the little dudes and that creates a good flow, a lot of which we saw. Right. Um, is that something that you tend to lean towards with monsters in this or are there like big bad will fuck you up on its own kind of guys? There's some big bad will fuck you up on its own and there are plenty of monsters that are there just kind of on their own in, in the book. I, I write about this idea that whatever you're hunting uh, probably either has, it's going to have other monsters around it, either because they, they fight for it. They're kind of this minion idea that you had, you kind of talked about, or they're the prey and it's just part of the ecosystem. Like it's not going to be a monster on its own. There's going to be other things that you're going to need to deal with. Either they're directly a minion of it, like the bone singer, or they're just, you have to go through an environment in which there's naturally going to be multiple threats to you. And so I, I encourage kind of this more diverse uh, set of monsters in an encounter rather than just one big bad thing, because then you're dealing also with like action economy bullshit, which is really hard to deal with uh, in a game. Just in generally, that's a hard thing to deal with. Like a group just alpha striking your monster and be like, oh, well, that was not fun. Well, great. Uh, right. Here's another monster, the real big bad. It's right. the same thing, but huge. Exactly. The, uh, yeah. my, my opinion is if you have more monsters, you have more time to show off why these classes are cool and different from each other. Exactly. Like the, the more little dudes to smack around, the more cool shit you can do. And it also gives every player in the encounter a chance to do a cool thing and be engaged because as a player, nothing really sucks more than going into a combat, finally getting to your turn. And there's one dude. Right. Like with the with the the actual play that we just did, the, there was a, a swarm of skeletons because your character is about fighting swarms of skeletons. And then mm-hmm. there's also like the target, which the gunslinger is good at being like that thing. I'm going to go kill that thing for us real quick. And so, yeah. you know, create combat scenarios that make your care, make the players feel cool. That's just like a good piece of advice for game runners in general. Right. That concept I of think, being a fan of the player characters, right? Exactly. Give them opportunities to do cool stuff. Right. Um, last question, I think I specifically want to ask about the vine dude. I've Ooh. seen the art. I've seen the art of this guy. Very, very cool. Mm. Tell me, tell me about this weird vine dude. I want to know. I want to know their deal. So I have like my own weird headcanon about these things because there's not going to be a huge amount of lore about these monsters because again, my idea of what the city is is going to be different than your version of the city. So in my headcanon, the the creep, which is this weird, horrible vine plant monster. The, I love that art. Phil Stone did a really fantastic job with the monster art. The vine creep is essentially, in my opinion, something is fighting back against this idea of urban sprawl because this this urban sprawl is 
in theory maybe like destroying everything around it in the real world and so this is the this is like nature fighting back and manifesting in a weird terrifying way and so the creep is going to be a thing that in my games at least grows in districts as like nature is trying to say no enough of this expansion like i'm going to take you down um and so similar to how we see like ivy crawl across a wall with time creeps will crawl across a district and just uh, absolutely demolish and undo the urban sprawl as best they can and so you're gonna get these weird creepy plant people that are gonna try and strangle you with their vine hands that is extremely good and cool and that is all i need to say on that um <laughs> that's awesome okay so that that takes us to pretty much time um so we're gonna go ahead and move on to wrapping up um and i'm going to ask you to plug your stuff but before i do um tradition on this show is to ask every guest a question from for the game design mm. um which is a hack of for the queen by alex roberts that adam vass and will yopes did on their podcast the brain trust and they did it at big bad con and i like to do it here so i'm gonna ask you a question from for the queen but i'm gonna replace the queen with the game design okay the game design knows something about you that no one else does what is it this is a point of clarification is this the design of slayers or is this just game game design? game design game design just game design you can make it about slayers if you want right so i mean yeah so i i think what game design knows about me that is not the persona that i push forward because this whole time i've been talking about how i'm a, a scientist and i'm a cognitive psychologist and that informs my design is nine times out of ten when i release a game uh, I've done none of that. I actually have put very little thought of my actual oh, no. <laughs> stuff. Like, like balance, like Slayers is different because it's it's like a big game that I want. But like the vast majority of my stuff, there's no testing. There's no any of that. I just write cool shit, which I think a lot of people do. Um, Guilty. Hi. Me. But I think it's not the it's not the persona that I push forward that, that that's something that I do. Uh, and yeah, I do. I'm I'm just like everybody else. I I, I just throw shit onto the onto the internet can't and go. Here's it. a game. I don't know. Maybe it works. Can't believe it. I can't believe you just do things. Wow. I know. That's awesome. Um, it's good. It's good to know that people are human. My my students would be so disappointed in me. That's okay. Just don't let them listen. Um, all right. So that that does it for us. So please, uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. So you can find me online. Uh, everything is Gila RPGs. So G-I-L-A-R-P-G-S. You can find me on Twitter as Gila RPGs. Uh, GilaRPGs.com is my website where you can find my like physical zines. Anything that I've ever printed is up there. Digital stuff you can find on Itch. So if you just search for Gila RPGs on Itch, uh, that's where I am. And Slayers is done on kickstarter as you're listening to this but there will be a link on the kickstarter for where you can pre-order the book uh because the book will start shipping in october so that's the plan for it to be published and shipped so depending on when you're listening to this you can either pre-order slash order the book through the kickstarter or you can find it on my website 
I will actually go ahead and say, like, just to make it simple, I'll give you a short link for it. It'll be bytes.rip slash slayers. So you can just Love go that. there and find wherever the current whatever for slayers is. Sweet. Um, Even here. Awesome. So that does it. Thank you so much for coming on and hanging out and talking about games and slayers. Thank you so much for having me. I had a fun time. Hey, me too. That's the that's the real secret. Isn't that all that matters, right? Is that what the we talked about? The There's game design fun. is the friends we made along the way. Uh. <laughs> all right. And I will see y'all later. Thanks for listening. Bye.